Open your copy of God's Word to 1 John chapter 3. We're looking this morning at verses 10 through 18. Last week it was all about a sin we couldn't commit. This week it's about a, a love Christians cannot suppress. Hear God's Word. Let me read 1 John 3 beginning at verse 10. It is evident who are the children of God, who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. So, I mean, talking about, you've known this, I've known this from the beginning, when you go back to Cain and Abel, that's the beginning, okay? It was Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. So the first thing mom and dad told Cain and Abel to do, love one another. They've known this. We've known this from the beginning. We should not like, verse 12, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's deeds and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. It's pretty obvious. He says it's obvious. He says it's evident that there's a love Christians cannot suppress. <clears throat> it was interesting to me, this first thing that came to my mind when... I thought about we try to suppress stuff and there's things we can't suppress. First thing came to my mind for some reason was Bill Clinton. Why do I know these things? Bill Clinton tried to suppress and succeeded pretty much in suppressing his affair with Jennifer Flowers so he could get elected. He succeeded in suppressing his affair with, um, what was it, Paula, somebody. What he, didn't, he, what he didn't do is suppress his affair with Monica Lewinsky. It's like, okay, you suppress two successfully, and then you have a third affair, and you can't suppress it. Now we're done with you. Now we want to impeach. You can't suppress the evil. It just goes on and on. All of us try to suppress things. Politicians, Trump's trying to suppress one right now. A lot of people try to suppress things. I try to suppress appetite. How about you? I try to suppress debt. I try to suppress noise. I try to suppress anxiety. There's things we work to suppress. But God's talking about something we don't suppress. We don't suppress a love for one another as believers. Um, if you were to put a Christian... And a non-Christian, both in a jail cell. It would become obvious at some point who was the Christian and who was not. 
the non-Christian, even though it might be a nice person, when given the chance, will take advantage. When given the chance, will push the other one down. The Christian says, no, I don't, I don't want to take advantage. I want to build up. I want to encourage. I want to love. And you begin to see the Christian, even locked up with evil around him, cannot suppress this love that we have in Christ. First um, John 3.10 says, it's evident. It's obvious. Um, God's presenting us with a contrast here, and the contrast is undeniable. Love is something Christians cannot suppress. I want to kill this outline. It just is too busy, and uh, it's too hard to remember. Let's do something easier. Let's do selfless, saintly, service love, okay? You can get that, right? Because some of you, you need one word. So selfless, saintly, service love is a love Christians cannot suppress. First of all, it's a selfless love. Um, it's, a, it's a mark of Christianity that uh, he brings out, says, we just don't practice evil, we practice righteousness, verse 10. That's something the non-Christian doesn't do, and part of that righteous practice is loving one another. It's a mark of Christianity. Look over at John chapter 13. Jesus told this to his disciples just as he was giving them the Lord's Supper. Um, and he made it clear. He said, this is going to be your mark. John chapter 13. Some people sometimes ask, what is the true mark of the church? And there are books written on it. And I've read a few um, and especially during the time of the Reformation, people would say, well, if we're leaving the Roman Catholic Church to form a Protestant church, different kind of church, what, what will be the distinguishing characteristics? What will be the mark? And as they were trying to distinguish that, they came up with uh, two or three things. It needed to be the right preaching and teaching of the Word. It needed to be the right administration of the sacraments, something the Roman Catholic Church had quit doing. And then it needed to be church discipline, and those became known as the three marks of the church. But then Francis Schaeffer came along, and Francis Schaeffer says, no, 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 we're missing something. The mark of the church is love. If you've got right preaching and teaching, it'll be in love. If you've got right administration of sacraments, it'll be in love. If you've got right discipline, it's because you love somebody. It's not because you're trying to get rid of somebody. And the mark is really love. And if we love one another, we'll do those other three. But we've, we've got to see the distinguishing characteristic is love. And that's what Jesus points to here. Uh, John uh, 13, verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all men will know, it'll be a mark, that you are my disciples if you have love. For one another. The love he's talking about here is new because it's, it's, it's demonstrated newly through Christ, laying down his life for his own. We've already seen in 1 John, you, you knew that love was something you were supposed to do from the beginning. Cain and Abel knew it, first, first kids on the planet. They knew it, we've known it. Leviticus made it a command you shall love your neighbors yourself. So it's not new in the sense that you haven't heard it. 
It's new in the sense of the sacrificial nature in which Christ takes it to. That we will gladly serve one another with our lives. We'll think about others before ourselves. And that's something the world doesn't do. It's something the Christian does and the Christian cannot suppress it. Um, Cain killed Abel. Going back to 1 John chapter 3. And as he killed Abel, why did he do it? Interesting, isn't it? Verse, uh, the end of verse 12. Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Um, it, it says, and why did he murder him? His own deeds were evil. We get that. Murder's evil. But he did it because his brother's deeds were righteous. Does that not hit you strange that somebody would murder somebody because they're good? Because they're doing righteous stuff? He says, Cain murdered his brother because he didn't like Abel being so good, so righteous. It's amazing to me uh, the number of people who think it's strange that Christians are attacked. That pastors are attacked. That elders or deacons are attacked. People come to me and say, you must be doing something wrong. You're attacked. Did you catch the end of the first part of verse 13? Do not be surprised. Surprise. The world hates Christians. Cain hated Abel. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He was righteous. Doing good stuff. And the world still wants to murder and kill. That's surprising. God said, don't be surprised. That's the way it is. The world hates that your love just oozes out of you. It's, it's, it's something you can't suppress. They want it. They can't get it. They don't have a heart for it. They would have to be transformed to have what you have. This is a mark of Christ. It's a mark of the believer. It's different than the good humans that seem to exist around us. Um, I don't know about you, but I had, I had a time with, with some of my siblings. I about killed a couple. I only have two brothers. I about killed both of them several times. And, you know, it just made me mad at times. I, I, I will just share one with you. You can talk to them about the others. Uh, one of them said, I'm going to go tell mommy. And I said, no, you're not, you know. And I push. And when I pushed, they got mad. And they turned around and swung. Well, if you take one of these defense classes, when they're swinging at you, that's when you use the leverage and the gravity. So they're swinging, and I grabbed that arm, in, And I slung them into the side of the bedpost that put a gash in their head, and they were bleeding and going to the hospital for stitches. And I thought, yeah, I did that. Yeah. <laughs> that was a hatred. That was, and they were, they were really only doing something good. They were telling mom and dad what needed to be said. Thankfully, I got saved later, and my brothers got saved later, so they, they have to give me love now. <laughs> but we both love one another, and we love one another now because of Christ. Christ changes our lives. Instead of hating one another for even doing good things, 
we begin to love one another. Look over at verse 16. It says, by this we know love. Here's the selfless part. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Selfless. Willing to lay down our lives. Do whatever it takes to help you. To minister to you. To build you up. To strengthen you. Uh, to take you from where you are to, to a better place. Christ died for me. Christ says, I, I, I want you to, to live that kind of selflessness towards family. Brothers here that, that we're talking about is church members. It's people who are aligned with Christ, who are under Christ, who are in Christ's family. Those are the ones he calls his church. He says, I own my church. It's my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against my church. I'm here to build my church. And the way I'm going to do that is having all of my church love one another. We will be lovers of one another. Christ laid down his life for his church. He wants us to do so for each other. Um, quick application, just evaluate yourself. Are you known, am I known for self-sacrifice, for selfless service to others, to you, you to me, vice versa, if there's a need? When you hear of a need, do you bow your head, your knees, and pray? If you hear there's a need you can supply, do you get in your vehicle and go supply it? Do you pick up the phone? Do you send the email? Do you send the text? I just want you to know I love you. I care about you. I'm praying for you. See, that's something that's happening all across this church all the time. I'm proud of you, those of you who are doing it. It's something you can't suppress. It's like, I love these people. And because I love these people, I hear there's a need. I need to do something. Now, obviously, there's times you can't, you can't meet every need. But there are needs you can meet, and the Spirit of God puts that need on your heart, and, and you you got to do something, and you reach out to do it. You're willing to lay down your life. You're willing to lay down the task you were going to do today. You're willing to push something aside so that you can take a care of the need of another. That's how Christ wanted His church to function. He gave us spiritual gifts for that purpose. So some of you will have speaking gifts, some of you will have service gifts, but we'll all take care of one another. We'll minister to one another. And the church, I mean, the world will look inside the church and they'll say, those are disciples of Christ, those are Christians. And their brother might say, how do you know? Well, you see how they love one another. They, they take care of one another. It's, it's something they can't not do. That's their nature. That's who they are, this selfless love. Second, so I've already kind of morphed into the second part of this. It's a saintly love, this brotherliness. It says, verse 13, do not be surprised, brothers. Who's he talking to? He's talking to you and me who are believers. Don't be surprised, brothers. There's a difference between you and the world. The world hates you probably know that passage in John 15 where Jesus is telling his disciples, he says, don't be surprised they're going to hate you. They hated me. 
I don't know why I'm still surprised. You would think good people would just like good people. We're all good people, right? So when we run into other good people in the world, we would think, well, they would just like us. And then when they don't like us and they say something about us, they try to push us out of a position. They try to get us fired. They try to uh, say things about us to move us on down the road because they don't like us. Jesus says, oh, well, they didn't like me either. Why is it you can't get that? It, it, it still surprises me when I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When I read through the Gospels and I see people rise up to be mad and hurtful and vengeful at Jesus. It's like, dude, all he's doing is trying to help. He's laying down his life. He's loving. He's caring. He's pointing you to God. He's willing to die for your sins. And, and, and you're, you're mad? Really? You see, that's, that's the evil one's nature. Is to exalt evil. And not righteousness. There is a clear distinction. Between believers, brothers. And those who are not. Brothers are lovers of one another. The world hates us. We know that we passed out of death into life. Because the love. Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love. Abides in death. Now let's think about that a minute. Passed out of death into life. Look over at Ephesians chapter 2, first four verses. It's a, a passage on God's sovereignty. Most of us can handle that, I guess. Some people don't like to talk about original sin, but it's, it's clearly here. Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 1, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you walk. So this is a spiritual death. You're walking physically, but you're, you were, past tense, dead in sin. You're walking, verse 1 continues, following the course of this world. So this is what the world does. <clears throat> following the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. The spirit. That's now at work in the sons of disobedience. So this, this spirit, this evil spirit of Satan himself was in Cain. He was the, when First John talks about the evil one. It's talking about he's literally of the evil one. He has the spirit of the devil in him. And that's why Cain killed Abel. He was walking as a non-believer, according to the course of this world, that's where we are all born. You were there, I was there. Uh, it's now working in the sons of disobedience. Notice how we're all described as a child of disobedience. That's our nature. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were all born. All mankind were born into a spiritual deadness, into sin, controlled, walking, 
carried about by, however you want to describe it, this spirit of evil. The prince of the world, the devil, over us. We're in bondage to that unless we're released by Christ. And that's the good news of verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Hallelujah. How wonderful is that? Even when we were dead in our sins, He makes us alive. He takes us from death to life. Now, there's a difference in those kind of people. There's the dead people walking about dead people and those people who have been taken from deadness to life by the grace of God. Made alive now instead of to the spirit of evil, to the spirit of Christ. So that now we walk by the spirit of Christ and by the rule of Christ. And the mark of that spirit and that rule is love. That we love all of those who have life with us in Christ. We love the ones that Christ has chosen to love. They're like us. And they're like us not because of us, but because of Christ. There's this, he says, I'm going to take a sinner and I'm going to make him a saint. And he will then possess a saintly love. So not only is it a selfless love, it's a saintly love. It's a love only Christians have. It's our mark, and we demonstrate it in the way we love one another. Um, where does the hatred come from? It comes from our heart. And he transforms our heart so that now out of our heart flows love, the sacrificial love of Christ. was obvious last week. It's obvious this week. This is the same passage. Verse 10. It is evident. It's obvious. I said it last week. I'll say it again. It just surprises me the number of people who come to me and say, well, I don't know if they're a Christian or not. Well, the Scripture says it's, it's, it's evident. It's obvious who are Christians. It's Non-Christians don't live, don't walk, don't act the same way as Christians. There's, you can judge a tree by its fruit. There's the non-Christian fruit and there's the Christian fruit. It's, it's obvious, God says. And one of the things you'll see is that the non-Christians, they want to hate us. They want to get rid of us. They want to suppress us. But we have a love we can't suppress for one another. So we don't want to get rid of one another. We're saddened every time a brother or sister in Christ even has to move away. Because we don't want to not be around brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't say bad things about one another. We don't hit one another. We don't push at one another. We don't try to move one another. Well, how about sin? When sin really messes up a relationship, what happens there? Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. 
Here's the answer. Galatians 6, verse 1. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, any sin, I'm not talking about certain ones, any one of them, you who are spiritual, you who are the, the believers, you've got a maturity about yourself in Christ, you're the one that didn't fall into sin, you who are spiritual, you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. This law of Christ is love. When we see a brother or sister in Christ fall down, mess up, sin. We don't try to knock them off, kick them out, push them on down the road. Many people hate them. Many people want that. But as believers, we say, no, 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 I want to I hold them. I want to bear their burden. I want to lay down my life. I want to get them out of that sin and into a pattern of righteousness. And I will do what it takes to get them there, to restore them. And I will do it gently. Because that's the way Christ has treated me when I was dead in my trespasses and sins. What a sweet and gentle time it always is to hear the good news of Christ. You're forgiven. Go and sin no more. What a joy. That's the love God gives to His church. And the world, they don't get it. They don't understand it. They can't believe it. But it marks us out. It's something we cannot not do. It's obvious when you find somebody say, "Well, I, I, I'm sorry, I just can't love like that." Okay, it's obvious why you can't. It's evident why you can't. You're in need of Christ, and we need to pray for you for your salvation. Let's see what the scriptures are saying to us. We have a Selfless and a saintly love that cannot be denied. Third thing in this passage in 1 John, verses 16 through 18, is a service kind of love. It makes it real clear that he's not talking about just talking the talk. He's talking about walking the walk. I'll read it again. Verse 16 through 18. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk. So don't just talk to talk. But in deed and in truth. I was uh, over at uh, Bill's house a while back, and uh, there's about ten New Covenant guys there. We were just sitting around campfire talking, and a neighbor walked up, saw, saw the, the men. He was a man. I think Bill had already invited him and came over. None of us knew him. He was, he was a stranger to our group. He didn't know us. He was about uh, 65 years old or whatever, very mature man. Sat there and just listened for about 20 minutes to our conversation. And then at some point in the conversation, something stimulated him to speak. He, he knew something about the subject that had come up. 
He says, I want to talk about that. He says, but before I do that, he says, I'm not a religious person. And I've been listening to you for 20 minutes. Y'all must all be part of the same church. Or same group. Or something. Y'all are different. And I thought, yes. That's obvious. You should be able to see that. You're smart. You, you figured it out. Because the con- as I went back in my mind, what have we been talking about for 20 minutes? And it was just normal stuff where somebody said, you know, I need to cut a tree down in my yard. And uh, somebody else in the group would say, well, I'll be glad to help you. If you want, you're going to do that, let me know. I need to build something. I'll be glad to help you. Somebody else would say, I can do that. I'll be glad to help you. I, I need an outlet on the wall. Hey, I know how to do that. I'll be glad to help you. And, and as I went back through the conversation, I just said, it was just brothers saying, I'm here. I can help. I'll love you, and you love me. That's walking the walk. It's something we can't suppress. See, we didn't have to think about it. That just comes out of us. We want to help the body of Christ. We distinguish. Every time you see somebody, you talk to somebody, you say, Christian, non-Christian, Christian, non-Christian. And you gravitate towards these brothers, sisters in Christ, and you want to help them. The non-Christian, you want to share Christ with them. But we're always making this distinction because there are dead people walking and there are people alive in Christ who are living that we want to build up and glorify God by doing so. And that's what John is saying is obvious. It happens. Now, you remember the story of uh, the Good Samaritan. Let me just look at that real quick. Luke chapter 10. So you, you just, it's, there's just no perhaps a better illustration than, than Jesus gave us here of, of when he was asking, who's my neighbor? How do you love your neighbor? You know, flesh that out for me. And Jesus says, okay, we can do that. Um, and he begins uh, in Luke 10, verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him, and he beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest, so you got this man half dead on the road, probably a Jew going from Jerusalem to Jericho, don't really know here, Um, by priest, so a priest should care about Jews. That's, That's his thing. He's a shepherd. There's one of his flock. By chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So you got a priest, probably has what the man needs, but chooses not to share it and passes by on the other side. And then gives you another illustration. Then a Levite, also in the church, passes by. When he came to the place where he saw him, passed by on the other side. So he probably also has what he needs, goes to the other side of the road, and leaves him there. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, Samaritans were half-breeds. They were despised. They were the people people didn't really want in their lives. But this Samaritan sees him, came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion. He went down, he bound up his wounds, he poured on oil and wine, put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. And gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. Now, this should pay for your, his stuff. And Jesus says, which one loved? So obviously, we don't have to answer rhetorical questions. We know who did. 
is the one who walked the walk, who, who gave up, who sacrificed, laid down his possessions, gave up his wine, gave up his oil, gave up his animal, gave up money out of his pocket to help a brother. Jesus, that's, that's the kind of love that we should have for one another. Um, we should be givers to one another. Another quick passage. Look at 1 Timothy 6. Just warn you, this is about rich people, okay? People say, you can't, you can't call them rich. You can't talk to rich people. Here, here you go. 1 Timothy 6. Beginning verse 17. says, as for the rich, God calls you who you are, okay? He doesn't, he makes distinctions. One of them is some people are rich. Rich in this present age. In other words, you've got possessions, financial or otherwise. As for the rich in this present age, charge, in other words, there is instruct. So it's a strong instruction, a charge. Charge them not to be haughty. Why would rich people be haughty? You ever known rich people say, well, I worked hard for what I got. Okay, so you're haughty. Uh, when you get that attitude that I'm better because of stuff I've done, not realizing uh, God's gifts in our wealth. It says, charge them, first of all, so you tell them, don't be haughty. You're, you're missing sovereignty of God here. You could have been born in... Uh, the bush in Africa. You didn't get to choose your birth. You didn't get to choose mom and dad. God gave you distinctive privilege. Where you are. What you're able to do. Think about God. Not your on pulling yourself up by your own bootstrap. So charge them. Tell them not to be haughty. Number two. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. You can lose it all so quickly. We've seen banks crash. In our lifetime, we've seen tornadoes and hurricanes and all possessions to be destroyed. We've seen scammers take away millions and billions. It's so easy to lose it all. The uncertainty of riches. But charge them to, to, to be focused on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are, so it keeps going, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And to... Uh, I lost my place. Man, I get so excited. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. See, rich people are good at storing up treasures on earth. He says, let's get your focus switched. So that we can get you good at storing up treasures in heaven. As a good foundation for the future. You've got a future there, not just here, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So you tell, lots of people would consider everybody in this room rich. It just depends on the scale you're on. I read an article this week, it just really disturbed me that 25, I think 25.3% of Americans, so one out of four, Americans did not have certainty they would have food on their table on Friday when they started Monday, when they started the week. I thought, really? 
That is so sad that America's gotten to the place where one out of four Americans don't have what we have. Most of us, some of us here, yeah, we're living paycheck to paycheck, but we've got a sense of security about that, and we're going to have food come the weekend. But one out of four don't. And God says, I want those of you who are rich to, to so demonstrate a sacrifice for others that people just see Jesus all over you. They see that you love one another. You take care of one another. This, he says, charge them, instruct them. Let them know that this mark of love needs to come out of them. So that the world begins to see we are the light of the world. We are a stark contrast to them. And it again becomes evident who are and who are not the people of God. As soon as Christians got saved, what did they do? Acts 2, 42 through 7, 47. Does it just not describe us? As soon as they got saved. In other words, their hearts got transformed. They got removed from deadness and sin to life. As soon as they got saved. Verse 42 of Acts 2. So they had just heard Peter preach. They had just been baptized. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves. So this same day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together. So this is brotherhood. They're going to worship together and breaking bread in their homes together. And they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. There's this devotion to the brotherhood. To be in the family of God that cannot be suppressed. It's obvious. It's evident who are the children of God. Some of you won't remember this. Because you're just not old enough. How many remember the Beatles? Did you ever hear them? Some of you do. In the early 60s, the Beatles started popping the charts. And the newspapers would say, they're, they're unstoppable. They're unbeatable. Nobody dominates the music scene like the Beatles. And, and it was just common kind of conversation that Nobody could be as good or as popular as the Beatles until a man came along. Do you know who he was? Dean Martin. Dean Martin came along with a song called Everybody Loves Somebody Sometimes. You remember that? And everybody was singing that song. It climbs to the top of the charts. Dean Martin's nickname was Beetle Breaker. Beetle Breaker Martin. Because he broke the Beatles record. Number one song. Everybody wanted it. Everybody was singing it. And I thought about it. But is it true? Everybody 
love somebody sometime. As for believers, we love the church all the time. We can't not love a particular group of people because this group is our family. They are in Christ. When I look at a saint in Christ, no matter how bad or mean or ugly it's gotten, my mindset is, it needs to be, this is someone for whom Christ shed his blood. They're precious to Jesus. And so since they're precious to Jesus, they must be precious to me. And I got to love them. And I got to care for them. And I got to restore them. In the spirit of gentleness. I thought so many times in marriage counseling. If we could just get the husband and the wife. To look at one another. And just the first thought is. This is someone for whom Christ died. And when you see your spouse as precious. In the sight of God. You treat them as precious. You love this somebody. Evidently, obviously, different than the rest of the world. And everyone can see it. It's the love of believers that cannot be suppressed. Let's just stop right there. Let's pray together. Father, there's times where this is overwhelming. Because we can evaluate our lives and say, woe is me. I am unclean. I'm unhealthy. I'm uncaring. I'm unloving. I have not generously given myself and my time and my resources to the love of the church, the body of Christ, my brothers and sisters. Father, turn us from sin we mess up. Restore us gently, we ask. Let that be our passion. To so love as Christ loved. Father, may it become so obvious that the church of Christ loves one another. The world sees more and more and more of Christ. Father, for those that are overwhelmed this morning because it has become obvious through your truth... They're still dead in sins. Though they're walking about on this earth. And though they can do many great things. They're still without life. They're still without life eternal. They're still without the forgiveness of sins. They're still without any hope of standing before you and being acquitted. Father, for those people we ask for mercy. Grant them the Spirit of God for a new heart, a new life, a washing, a cleansing from sin. Grant them the breath of life that they might live as yours. Adopt them, we ask, into your family. Father, use us that we can explain, we can pray, we can instruct. Use us for the expansion, the building of your church. 
We thank you, Lord, for drawing us to yourself this morning, for showing us your truth, for your honor and glory we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.